Hey guys, super grateful to you all for tuning in and joining us on this journey to grow soccer in the US. You're the reason we keep on doing it. So a few of you have asked how you can support a podcast and we thank you for that. So today we're shouting out Buy Me A Coffee. It's a platform that makes it so easy to give us a little digital thank you. You just go over to Buy Me A Coffee page, which is buymeacoffee.com slash dkcubuildit. That's buymeacoffee.com slash dkcubuildit, all one word. Pick your level and then buy us a coffee. That tip goes straight to us right here at DKCUHQ and is a super easy way, hopefully for you guys, to show some direct support and appreciation of this podcast. Look, we know... Everyone can't buy us a coffee, and that's okay. Um, You tuning in and spreading the word is more than enough. If you do enjoy the show and are looking for a simple way to give back, check out our Buy Me A Coffee page. Just a $3 coffee is hugely appreciated and helps this show keep on ticking. However you support the Thought Pod, thank you sincerely from the bottom of our hearts. On with the show. John, you good? I'm good. Let's roll, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Build It Podcast. Our guest today is Brad Seymour. Brad has over 20 years of experience leading business operations, sales, and marketing efforts for minor league baseball franchises. He currently serves as president of the Windy City Bulls, the G League affiliate of the Chicago Bulls. Prior to that, he spent about seven years as VP and GM of the Lake County Captains, a Cleveland Indians affiliate. Brad has also held leadership roles with the Lancaster Jethawks and Sioux Fall Canaries earlier in his career. With decades of experience across all facets of minor league baseball, from budgeting to corporate partnerships to promotions and beyond, Brad has a wealth of knowledge that can help us better understand the ins and outs of running a successful minor league sports franchise. We're looking forward to tapping into his expertise across minor league baseball and learning lessons that can apply to our world of minor league soccer. Welcome to the show, Brad. Um, To start off, please, could you just give us a brief overview of your career journey through the minors and what led you to your current role within the Windy City Bulls? I, uh, and I will talk, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how do you go from baseball to basketball, but I, I started my career in San Jose, California. That's where I'm from. Um, and started interning for the local minor league baseball team, uh, basically became a stadium rat where I was there every day after school. Um, this is in high school and then kind of, they would just give me any kind of work that I wanted and, and. Um, after my freshman year of college, the owner of that team also owned a team in South Dakota. He came to me one day and said, Hey, do you want to go intern in South Dakota? And, and like I tell everybody, you got to go where the opportunity is. And in that case, that's how I ended up in South Dakota for a summer. It was actually awesome. Um, and then, uh, went back home for my sophomore year of college same thing every day after school, I'm at the ballpark and just asking, what can I do? Um, and, uh, was just given more and more responsibility was asked again, go to South Dakota for three months, um, was hired on full-time halfway through there. And nine years later, I was still there. And, um, just, it, it accelerated my career from the get-go, just getting that early experience. And, um, you know, what it did is 
it, it got my foot in the door. Um, and you know, I was able to learn basically all aspects of running a, a team very early on. Um, by the time I was 25, I was GM of the team running it. Um, and so, you know, it was very fortunate to have some folks in my corner early on. And, you know, as, as we'll talk about, it's, it, I've stayed on the minor league side, you know, for close to 30 years now, because I just love the creative aspects of this job. I love the fact that there's never anything the same. Um, you have to hustle in all aspects of, of what you do and, and it's not easy, but you know, when you have success, it's very fulfilling. And so I, I spent nine years in South Dakota, got tired of the winters, moved to Southern California, ran a minor league baseball team there for five years. Same thing. Owner of that team came to me, said, Hey, we have a team in Cleveland. You want to run it? And so uh, I ended up running both of those teams for a number of years until we sold off the the California franchise and, and spent seven years in Cleveland uh, with a single A franchise. And then one day was somebody reached out to me and said, have you ever thought about basketball? Um, and the one thing I hadn't done was start a franchise. I'd done virtually everything else that I set out to do when I first started my career, but never been part of a startup. And that was very appealing to me. And so that's how I ended up with the G League and, and with the Bulls. And it's frankly been the best move of my career um, because I get the, the best of both worlds. I get to work for a major league organization. I get all those resources, but a lot of autonomy. And I basically get to you know, stay and, and work day to day on the minor league uh, side of things, which I absolutely love. So in a nutshell, that's how I arrived, uh, arrived here in Chicagoland. Yeah, all good. Um, it's entirely possible. I'm the only person that's listening to this that will need to need the answer, but um, what's the pyramid, the G league ramps where in the grand scheme of things? We are a, if, for lack of a better term, one step below the NBA. Um, so we are, the equivalent of a triple a baseball we are our guys a good handful of them will move back and forth the nba team both in chicago and with other teams um so in a lot of ways from the player development side it is right below the nba level so you know the on-court talent is frankly the second best uh league in the world um and you just the the league is developed in a way where the movement between NBA and G League um, is almost daily now. Uh, and it, when we started, we were the 18th team. There's now 30 or 31 teams. Um, and so the league itself is, has evolved in the last eight years since we've been involved. And um, again, the, the talent on the court, it's become a much more appealing place for people to you know, continue their careers instead of maybe going overseas, making more money. Um, they're literally a phone call away from playing in the NBA. So that's kind of the cool aspect as far as watching the talent on the court. So but I'm always intrigued by that, the, by the fluid nature of the minor league, major league thing in the U.S. How do fan, how do you help fans create an affinity with, like, the, the Jersey 23 or whatever? And, yeah, obviously 23. Yeah. But, um, like, because if there's, no long, if there's no guaranteed longevity and players aren't necessarily signed up for a five-year contract, and it's it, it's for that reason um we don't necessarily promote specific players we we certainly use i i think of our advertising campaigns we'll use player imagery but we're not using john smith's name um in in a lot of ways our marketing rarely even touches on the basketball play on the court it's more focused on 
the experience. It's a close environment. It's the bobblehead giveaway. It's, you know, bring your group out, you know, for a fun evening type of thing. So that is what ultimately sells our product. Um, there's a very small minority of fans that know every player, you know, the hardcore basketball fans that that's what they're here for. 90% of our fans are here for reasons other than the play on the court. And that's, and that's our approach. That is our job, you know, on the business side is, is to put butts in the seats. We have to create reasons for people to want to come here. And that's where the creativity comes into play that I love. Um, but yeah, to in long winded to answer your question, we will promote the fact that so-and-so played here after the fact, but we will rarely, if ever, say, come and see so-and-so. Um, it, we've done that, I think, on two occasions uh, since the team's been around because you literally don't know. And on one of those occasions, the player was moved. So you you just don't know on a day-to-day basis. But I think we call it a messy effect. These this is like... This is exactly why Soroka connected us because that is exactly our approach is um, we leave the player development to the coaching staff and we put those people in a position to succeed and find the right players and and do all those things. And Nick and I and the rest of our volunteer staff, and, and we're, we're a heavily volunteer-run organization. Um, and our our approach is just like you said, you can't you can't base it on a player because even in our short May to August season, May to July, we promote a player and that's you know, he's on vacation this week with his family. He's just gone. Like, yeah. So our experience um, in in running the club and trying to grow our attendance year over year was and has been um, there. There happens to be a sporting event that hopefully gets in the way of your of your beer in the parking lot. Yeah. And. Um, building some of those narratives around what the club, in our case, what the club's ideals are and the things we do in the community to support. Um, that's been our, our marketing efforts. And, and Nick runs all that um, to really try to um, just kind of cement that as an experience that we don't want people in the community to miss. I mean, we, and we, unfortunately, we only have uh, you know, maybe 12 home games between our men and women's teams in a summer. Yeah. Uh, so it does give us a ton of opportunities, but, um, do you find yourself then at the top of the organization, do you do the same where you really leave the playing and the coaching and all that is you, you maybe help with the administrative stuff, but like that you're not, throwing, yeah. you're not doing any of that stuff. I I'm not, I'm not deciding who's starting tonight. I'm not deciding who's on the roster. Um, I work with, I work closely with the basketball side, but it is more on the administrative side. It's making sure that the needs are being met. The expectations are there, you know, especially with, again, so much movement between the NBA side and, and our side there. There's a certain level of expectation that, you know, is is needs to be there. And so it's my job to make sure that the environment that they are working in is is one that is conducive to them being successful. It's one for player development. Um, but, yeah, I deal with things like creating the budget for the basketball side. I you know, all I there's people that will handle travel and whatnot. So a lot of financial decisions will roll through me, but um, I am more than happy to hand off and not have any involvement with the roster side of it. I I had experience doing that early on in my career in baseball, and it's I certainly am glad I had that experience. But I it's not something that I have much interest in, and 
I'm more interested in doing everything that that we just talked about and touched on is, you know, being creative and developing reasons for the community to want to embrace this franchise and and you know come out and have an experience and and that's what's always been appealing to me um, as far as running you know these various franchises I've been with. How do you? I'm going to keep rolling, Nick, because this is what I do. Um, <laughs> he just sits there and looks pretty. So um, give me. I don't know what what uh, size of an organization is in in the G League. What does your staff look like? Sort of give us an overview of how many people yeah. you have and break that down. And uh, and then I'd like to hear a little bit about the what what should someone expect when they show up to a Windy City Bulls game from an experience standpoint. Gotcha. Um, I will say that there is no one template as far as you know staff structure in our league. Um, it ranges and it, a lot of it has to do with, uh, every team is owned by their NBA parent, or, or at least in some cases there's a little bit of a hybrid, but for all intents and purposes, a lot of resources from a manpower standpoint can come from the NBA side. So dedicated staff, in our case, we have eight full-time people, myself included, six of those, five of those are focused on ticket sales. Um, and then we have myself who, you know, oversees a little bit of everything. We have a PR person and then we have a business operations person, everything else from a manpower standpoint or resources comes from the Chicago side. Um, and it is, you know, it's one of the reasons why we're able to keep our head count relatively low. There are teams in our league that do not have the same resources that we do or, or get the you know, the crossover work from the NBA team. And so their, their full-time staffs can be upward of 20, you know, which is, you know, more so in line with maybe what you'd see in minor league baseball, where, you know, in, in most of those cases, um, you are an independent company that has an affiliation with the major league team, but on the business side, no relationship there. And so you have to literally hire people to do everything. Um, and so that is the world I came from, certainly a much smaller operation, during the season, we bring on about the same number of interns um, to work in various uh, areas of our operation. Um, so we certainly ramp up for the you know the six months of the busy season with the with the regular season and whatnot. Um, but uh, by and large, it's it's a relatively small, close knit staff that uh, that we have here full time. And then, what was your other question? Oh, what do you what do you expect when you come to a game? Um, yeah. One of the things that was appealing to me when when I accepted this opportunity was how dedicated the Bulls were to making not just the basketball site successful, but the business site too. And part of that was to help recreate to some level the experience of attending a game at the United Center. So the Bulls are known for its entertainment value um, and what, what you get when you attend a game. We've brought several pieces of that to our environment we have the same people that produce games in chicago producing our games so entertainment wise there's a lot of synergies and that's one of the things that's then um something that we've promoted since day one is you know we're out here in the suburbs we're 25 minutes 25 miles door to door but we're an hour hour and a half because of traffic so we're a standalone market when it comes to us in, in downtown we know it's difficult. We know it's expensive to get to a game in Chicago. So we're basically 
for lack of a better term, bringing the experience out to the suburbs. And we've done that since day one. Um, it's something that we take a lot of pride on um, and just making it interactive. Uh, there was somebody early on that said, going to a Bulls game is like going to the zoo. Going to a Windy City game is like going to the petting zoo because you are, you're part of the show. And so that's kind of a, a thing that we live by when, when we develop each of our events. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, what is what is your um, relationship with the arena? Um, I think before we started recording, you mentioned you have, you have a lot of flexibility there. Um, how does that, what is that relationship and how does that sort of play in with your ability to to uh, put on the show? Yeah. After, you know, 24 times a year. We have, um, well, first and foremost, we have a great relationship with both the village and the, the arena management. Those are the, the entities that run this building. Um, so we are, we're tenants. We have a lease to operate in here, but, um, you know, to your point, we our our responsibility is to, to operate our 24 home games. And so, um, the relationship with the arena is one of the best in the league, you know, based on, you know, my conversations with other teams and other markets, a lot of flexibility, a lot of, um, coordination too, with the building, um, Building management is also very creative when it comes to marketing and whatnot. And so over the years, we've collaborated on several things. They bring ideas to the table. So it's a two-way street. They want to see us be as successful as we want to be. Um, and so they are. They have a lot of incentive to, to provide you know ideas and, and just some of those types of resources to our operation. And since day one, we've had a very open partnership you know, in terms of sharing and and collaborating on things. So, um, you know, the 24 home games beyond that, you know, the, the schedule in the building kind of ebbs and flows a little bit. So there'll be stretches of time where the court's down and we're able to, you know, rent it to the community group or rent it to the youth league to come out and play a game on a non-game day. And um, those are the, some of the benefits that, you know, the building has given us some leeway in terms of how we operate. And, you know, it just, it brings more people into the building and that's what, both of our goals are uh, when all is said and done is to try to try to get bodies into now arena. Preach into the choir. We, um, we, we play at NIU at the soccer stadium and, and they've been great since we started. And I can't believe they actually let some brand new startup, not sure what we even are as a soccer club. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was looking back, it's pretty incredible this year. Um, you talk about turning over a, a stadium like you're dealing with, you know, we had, a, this was the first year we put our, our field side banners up for the whole summer and left them and didn't have to put them up and take them down every, like all yeah. those things that, that are, they're such simple things. Anybody can do it, but it just is one more thing to worry about on a game day. And it, 100%. It, that yeah. Benefit to just kind of have, we essentially had control of the facility most of the summer, you know? Yeah. And then. Others use the field, but the rest of the things around it were, uh, we were able to do a lot and actually it allowed us for a volunteer staff to show up. I think we ended up showing up about a half hour later than normal, yeah. which is just, just cuts the time down for all the people that are just volunteering. So we, hey, we don't have quite as much to do. Let's just roll in. We were able to leave our merchandise in the building and, and not have to set yeah. up in years past. I would send pictures of people that. I had to load everything out of my basement into my truck, haul it over there, you know, all that, and then bring it all back, carry it to the basement every game, every week. And it was like, I know it's, it's, it's grind. 
And it's those little things very similar to our building where, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of times of the season, we can go a week stretch, only have to set up once, play one or two or three games, break down after that last game. Obviously, it's all schedule dependent, but um, it just makes a big difference when you don't have to do it day after day after day. And, you know, it's just that wear and tear. So the other thing that the building's been really good about is, you know, just the co-branding of our franchise in, for example, we have giant concourse signs that are static. They're up for every event um, that show what the game experience is like. So there's some basketball player pictures, but then there's also pictures of the girls basketball team on the court. There's pictures of the mascot interacting. And so people that come into this building for other events see right in front of them what this basketball team is and what what I can ex- expect when I come to a game. And so that's also been a big piece of, again, that relationship that they've allowed us to to really brand the building as our own in a lot of ways, that we are the tenant team. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a very nice luxury, uh, and especially it helps that you're in an indoor environment. Yeah. And you're there longer, and you have offices there and all those things. So that's that's interesting. Can I keep rolling, Nick, or do you, you want to? Okay, here I go. Um, all right, let's talk. So I find it interesting. Five of your eight staff, I think you said, mm-hmm. are ticket-focused, which I'm I'm speculating when you say ticket sales, that includes community outreach, finding groups, finding the girls' basketball team, find, like all of that community connectivity falls under tickets. Yes. Yeah, for the most part, it's, it's you know, spending a good chunk of the off-season selling memberships and then also finding the groups and prospecting the groups, which really is our bread and butter when it comes to ticket sales categories. We do really well in groups, um, but it's about going out and and meeting those folks face-to-face in the community. It, a lot of what we do also, because we're such a young franchise, relatively speaking, um, but minor league basketball is also something that is relatively new. The league itself has been around for 20-ish years. Um, So not a lot of people understand what minor league basketball is. You go to somebody and say minor league hockey, minor league baseball, yeah, I've been to a game, I went to a game when I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. Um, You don't have that same synergy in terms of talking about minor league basketball. So when we're out in the community almost every weekend in the off-season at the festival or whatever, we were talking to people and we're educating them about what is this G league? What is this windy city bulls? I hear about, um, this is what it is. And this is the experience you can expect when you come And A lot of that all dovetails into how we sell and, and promote our ticket sales. That's yeah. That's a undefined level of, I, I use minor league a lot because I think people, Americans understand Nick doesn't know what it means. Americans understand what it means. And because uh, we we float around the term semi pro and elite amateur and all like it's minor yeah league. it's it's not professional it's whatever it doesn't paying players or not doesn't really factor in the the point is it's a minor league experience um, and, and so it's something that we struggle with with our education too is um, where do you fall sort of within the the magical soccer pyramid for us um, and then. We always come back to does it even matter? Yeah, you don't. You don't really care who the players are. I don't really care who the opponent is. 
I'm here for a hot dog, a beer, and my kids have a good time. A hundred percent. Education, right? Yeah, but I'll, it, that's actually a great point, and I'll, I'll give you some examples. So uh, it's probably been two or three years now, but Major League Baseball did a massive restructuring of minor league baseball, and teams changed leagues, teams got moved up, moved down. Some teams lost their affiliation. Um, and which means their players did not come from the major league organization. They had to go out, they became independent, they have to go out and get their own players. Talking to some of those teams that lost their affiliation, they said the same thing. I I said, what's the fan impact going to be? And are you worried? They said, no, as long as the hot dogs are hot, the beer is cold, um, the mascots floating around and the sun's shining, this place will be packed. They it goes back to what we said earlier. The majority of fans who come into our buildings have no idea who the players are on the court. Um, and that's not the reason they're there. They are there to spend time with their community, spend time with their family. And we're providing a reason for them to come. And so, you know, in talking to those baseball teams that went through that, there's been little to no impact in terms of attendance and, and experience because at the end of the day, it goes back to what are we marketing and it's almost saying everything else except what's on the field or in our case, what's on the court. Yeah. I think the other thing that you mentioned too, is you said in your off season, I think you've got about a six month off season, give or take. Yeah. So you mentioned that your, your ticket staff would be out at events and festivals and I'm sure you're setting up tables and doing the thing and, you know, doing what you yeah. do like in-person outreach. Um, I mean, is that something where you've now, you've been in the role, what, seven, eight years? You guys kind of have the calendar of, we know these these towns are doing these things, and you yeah. kind of almost, it's almost on repeat now because you've got the, the off-season routine dialed in? in. In a lot of ways, yes. And, you know, that goes, those first couple of years, we were accepting invitations and seeking out everything. Well, you quickly learn, okay, this one is worth our time. This one is worth our investment if we're sponsoring something. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, we have the core off-season events that we know we want to go to, that we want to be involved with. And then you mix that in with trying, you know, a handful of, of events that may pop up and you and you try. It's just like anything else. And you kind of live and learn and, and create that, that off-season cadence of being out. But also, because we have such limited human resources, you got to pick and choose, too. And so we've gotten pretty smart in terms of identifying which ones are critical? Yes, no brainer. We got to be there versus the ones that maybe we say no to, or or you pivot and try something new. And that's and based off past experience, where maybe the the crowds wasn't that weren't there or, or that type of thing. That all it all makes sense. The thing we wish we had more of is just more time, and, <laughs> and we certainly got the passion. We just can't seem to figure out how to just be out there all the time. And yeah, um, we're, we're continuing to grow. I want to talk about, you mentioned memberships. I want to talk about corporate partnerships too, but Nick, um, wake back up. Go crazy with this. There's enough guests on this podcast. They're just nerd out about marketing and stuff. So you go, you go wherever your heart desires, princess. Okay. All right. Thank you, dear. So, um, you mentioned memberships. Do you guys do, um, like, is that like season tickets? Yeah. Season tickets. How, How does that work? Yeah, memberships is the new term for being a season ticket holder. Uh, so same thing, same concept. The one thing that has changed, though, over the years is, you know, the the idea of 
individuals committing to season tickets seem to have become few and far between. And so people are looking for flexibility. So like our flex plans have become really popular. People want to dictate their own time. Um, and so when we're selling those types of memberships, the majority are going to be the flex plans that people can decide when and when they, when they want to come and when they don't. Um, and those seem to be really popular. Um, but again, the vast majority of our focus is on groups. Um, that's where we've seen a lot of success and, you know, every market's a little bit different. This market, especially when I, again, I talk to my counterparts with other teams, this seems to be a group heavy market, um, in terms of the Chicago suburbs. And so that's where we, we put our focus and, um, in seeing a lot of the success we do really well on the weekends. We also have philosophies in terms of, we put all of our eggs into our bigger, dates are bigger, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, we will have a handful of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday games that for all intents and purpose, we, we, we almost mail in, um, because our focus is building and, and selling out those bigger events with the bigger promotions. Um, and then the weeknights, hopefully we get to a time where, those are also creating demand, but you know, again, you got to kind of pick and choose your resources. We're going to put our resources into those bigger nights when we know on the weekends that we're going to draw well. And that's proven out, you know, in the last couple of years that we do really well on the weekends because of all the resources and um, just focus that we put. That's where all of our advertising goes. Um, and so it's also, there, there's some philosophy behind it where you can sell out one of those games and, and you start turning people away people start to understand, Hey, this is a bit tougher ticket than maybe I thought. I can't wait until the last minute. And so we're starting to see that bear fruit a little bit with, especially with some of our popular areas in the building, um, where the advanced ticket sale is, has become pretty prevalent. So we had this discussion. Let me give you, I'll give you a short background. Our women's team, our men and women both played the same time. Women's team plays their league plays on Tuesday nights generally. So We've had the same discussion. We wanted to we wanted to um, bring both teams up and do what we can to promote, but the same problem exists. It just happens to be our women's team plays mostly during the week. Yeah. Um, the counterpoint to everything you just said, uh, and I'm not saying it's wrong because we're trying to figure it out, but our counterpoint has been, well, people come to the women's game, which for us is actually can be a different audience. It's different fans. Yeah. And then... The experience isn't fireworks and then it's they don't know that there's a better thing experience wise on Saturday when we're going to put a bunch of effort into it. So then we actually. I guess there's a level of concern of are we mailing it in too much on Tuesdays and we're doing things at a much smaller scale, but are we giving maybe it's somebody's first impression and they're getting a oh, yeah. good one and now. Yep. We, we have to then, it took like, uh, like, uh, what do they call it? Customer acquisition, right? We had to yeah. get, we had to hustle, hustle, hustle to get them there. They showed up on a Tuesday and now we got to go, whoa, 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 whoa. We kind of mailed it in. Come back Saturday yeah. where we're going to have 300 more people. And that's one of the things we've struggled with, um, just in the last, it, it's not a, it's not, it's a good problem, right? Yeah. But in, I think it, it, it's a point. Let me I'll, I'll clarify and, and maybe mailing it in isn't the right term, but so for example, you know, we've got a limited advertising budget. We will advertise 
all of our games on the weekends. We don't put any advertising dollars behind a Tuesday night. We will not do a bobblehead giveaway on a Tuesday night or bring in somebody for a special appearance on a Tuesday night. When you come into the building, though, it's going to be the same show. It's going to be the same experience on a Tuesday on all 24 of our games, you know, regardless of what night it is. So when I say, you know, we where we put our resources, um, it's those types of things. It's the marketing, advertising, giveaways. We try to shift most of our groups into the weekends, you know, but, you know, it, there's always going to be a, a handful of groups and a handful of individuals who clearly will come to the weeknights. And when they step into the building, they're going to get a great experience. We don't necessarily cut down on what that is like for exactly the reason you explain. You don't want them to walk in and, and feel like, wow, this is a, a boring thing. What did I do? And and we're trying to say, no, come back Saturday. So it's that's what I just to clarify. That's what I mean when when I say resources and kind of where we direct them depending on the the day of the week. That makes a lot of sense. We're dealing with um, we're making the decisions, and, and we're dealing with uh, you know maybe six hundred on the weekend, two or three hundred on a Tuesday night. So it's like having yeah. the attendance, and for us, it's a it's making conscious financial decisions to say all right, well, we're not going to put the bounce house up. We're not going to have the face painters. We're not going to have this. Uh, we don't even make Nick drive out on Tuesdays from displays. Um, like there's just a, it's just a different thing. Yeah. And what it, because it's the women's team during the week, it looks like it can look like we're just not treating them equal. And nobody, I don't think we've had massive feedback to say that, but, um, but that's where we, we do like, we don't do the same stuff. Yeah. As the attendance doesn't justify all that extra stuff. Yeah. And it's so we're we're kind of having those discussions now in our off season of and, well, we gotta know, invest in it then if we want to grow it on Tuesdays. I, I'll say, you know, I learned big lessons, especially my first year here, because I came from an environment where I was doing seventy home games a season. Um and same thing where weekends were giveaways monday is your dollar night for food and thirsty thursday and all that and i came here and i my initial thought was 24 games that's nothing we're gonna load up every one of them and that first year we had it, tremendous resources behind all 24 games and tuesday nights were the same you know and so we quickly realized and pivoted in that second year and said you know what? Maybe we don't advertise our Tuesday nights. Maybe we don't do the giveaway or bring in the the Bulls alumni for an appearance on a Tuesday night. It's not going to make a big difference, you know. And and maybe the only exception to those are, you know, during the holiday breaks when again you don't have to go to school the next day. You know, those those can be treated as weekends. But if it's a Tuesday night in February, um, I quickly learned. Just because it's 24 games doesn't mean Tuesday nights are any different. And uh, and so that's just an approach that we've taken, you know, since that second year. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, last thing I want to ask about memberships. Um, one of the big um, motivators, aside from flexibility, and I think that's a good point, and I think that's something Nick and I have talked about with our ticketing. Um, what, what do you offer for perks? Like, what's the what's the thing that I get instead of just buying 10 tickets online? What's the thing I get as a as a member? So a couple of different things were, 
we have our floor seats. We call them our premium areas. Um, with there, it's you're getting every benefit that we offer. So that could be anything from the, they include a pregame dinner in a in a courtside lounge area. Um, we whenever we get any kind of swag from the Chicago side, jerseys, autographed items, those go to the premium members, and those are kind of surprise and delight moments. They're not promised, but we've been fortunate where we get some good hand downs and those immediately go to our premium holders. Um, we were able to get bulls tickets, you know, for, for some of our premium folks. Um, so the, and then there's things like merchandise discounts, um, at the time up until this, this coming season, there was some free parking opportunities. Now it's, we're offering free parking for everybody, um, which is a new thing coming into this next season. So there's, uh, well, meet the team party is a huge benefit that people really enjoy. So before a um, couple of days before opening night, uh, everybody's uh, season ticket holders are able to come in, um, see a live practice in the arena. And then after the practice is done, players go in and change and they come back out and the fans are on the court and there's meet and greets and signatures and photos. And so that's a big benefit that's been really popular. Um, and then we'll host different events kind of throughout the year. We do a big summer social where uh, we invite everybody out for basically a picnic out in, in back of the arena. Um, so there's some one-off things like that. So those are, off the top of my head, those are kind of the main benefits that, that we'll offer to a member who the single-game buyer is not going to be able to have access to. Tell me this, because I'm not familiar enough with minor league basketball. What is this, like, fan supporter culture like? Like, is it... As you do these events and the little picnics and the meet and greets, yeah. do the fans get to know each other and sort of yeah like create their own community? Yeah, and it, it's certainly smaller. Like you'll have certain sections of people that have been around each other for you know a handful of seasons, so they get to know each other. Um, so you kind of have these little pockets or cliques of people if if they've been season ticket holders for a number of years, and they obviously get to know their neighbor sitting next to them type of thing. Um, that's typically what you see. Yeah. I think that's that's what makes it a social club. Oh, we, yeah. I say this all the time. We want to be a social club with a like a soccer hobby, right? That's yeah, exactly like we, we want people to come together because they all are friends. It brings people together. All those things. Um, okay. Last thing I want to nerd out on with you. Um, corporate partnerships, sponsors, not just collecting checks. Um, yep. I've you would have many more opportunities uh, in an arena environment to sort of offer promotional places to put their logo and do different things and and much more than we have with our staff and our temporary home um, and with only, like I said, eight to 12 home games a year between the yep. two teams. So um, just give me kind of an overview of your of your thoughts on corporate partnerships and what you guys do to make it special for the partners. Yeah, so the main assets that we have available to us, you know, game presenting partnerships, um, LED signage inside the building. So the way that the agreement is structured, kind of anything that's static in the building that is a building asset, we can't sell it. Um, so we have LED signage, scoreboard, courtside, ribbon board that we are able to control and sell for our games, um, on-court promotions. Um, but a big thing that has become more and more popular especially as it grows is digital and our digital platforms our social platforms 
And so, you know, partners get involved with features or, you know, different things that we do on, on social media because they're hitting a broad audience. Um, certainly, you know, everybody that's outside the arena too. Um, and so those are our main assets that we focus on. We have court side or I'm sorry, court branding in certain locations. Um, so there's some, some signage on the court. We have Jersey sponsors. Um, but a lot of our partnerships also come from the Chicago side. So existing Chicago partners will, you know, add on to their investment to include Windy City and, and get involved with the franchise uh, here as well. So that's kind of the arrangement in a lot of ways um, where our partners come from. We have a good handful of local partners is what we call them, folks that are in the, the northwest suburbs. And, you know, a lot of those are involved really from the community aspect, um, the community angle. They want to show support for the team, but they also want to be involved in the community um, and, and grow their name in the, in the marketplace. So that's the, the nutshell arrangement in terms of what we have for, uh, for partnership assets and then also where our partners come from. So we are um, probably 40% dependent on sponsorship revenue as an operational line item. Mm -hmm. So it's a big, to us, it's a, it's a massive, massive yeah. movement for these eight or nine months of our long off season to, um, to figure out how to connect. And, and nobody within our organization does it as a professional to go out and say, hey, these are the things we have. How do I get in a room with a bar owner or a, you know, we're not, we're not dealing with Pepsi or yeah. Daniels. Unfortunately, we're dealing with, you know, mom and pop store down the street, trying to figure out how we can tangibly help their business. And and that's kind of our, our approach is, um, we want to be a, uh, sort of a community benefit club mm -hmm. where yes, if you can support us with a few hundred bucks here and there great, let's throw a banner up. But if you're having an event or you're hosting a fundraiser, let us know. And I, Nick gets, gets the emails like, Hey, please post this. And so like, so we just kind of become this revolving door of local community things going on. And, yeah. um, you know, if there's a sale going on at a, at a partner, but, um, the outreach part is, is difficult. And with your is that part of the ticketing group? Is that a thing you? Uh, it, a lot of it falls on myself. Uh, we have another uh, individual who works on both sides, Chicago and us, um, that that will be involved. Um, but a lot of it falls on me uh, to be doing the outreach, and that's part of my job and um, cultivating those local partnerships. You know, obviously, everything that comes from the Chicago side comes from their corporate partnership department, and. You know, they're the ones uh, building those relationships. And, and then we, you know, have the synergies to work together with, with them pretty closely to, um, to just identify prospects and, you know, new people to go after. But uh, it's a, it's a little bit of an all hands on deck. We, we encourage our ticket sales staff to, you know, if, if this part of the conversation comes up when you're talking tickets to bring me into the conversation and, you know, then I'll, I'll kind of take it from there type of thing. But um, it's, it's not as big a piece of our business as tickets. Um, and because we're so ticket focused, you know, that's where it, we're still in, in kind of a stage, especially let me back up. You know, we played a couple of years, you then had the pandemic. We were kind of hitting our stride 
going into the pandemic, then you absolutely go dark for almost two years, um, with, especially with restrictions and things that were in Cook County. And so we we lost two complete years for lack of a better um, way of looking at it. And so we're kind of still in that rebuilding mode. We, we set record attendance last year, um, you know, all time. We really started to hit our stride and then we're expecting to build upon that. But um, attendance is where the focus continues to lie. Um, and then again, we're fortunate to see most of our partnerships come from the Chicago side where that doesn't have to be kind of the, the primary focus of, of our sales efforts here on the ground. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a huge start. You know, you, you're kind of like a few steps ahead with some of yeah. those, I imagine, and, and you're able to, um, like you said, they can add on and that's a real easy way for them to spread their marketing money out, not just yeah. to, the, to the suburbs. And, and I think that's cool. Um, Nick, jump in here before we uh, let Mr. Seymour get out of here. There you go. That's, that's going to be a lovely edit for me, isn't it? Um, I, I just want to circle back to a little bit that you mentioned a little while ago about um, promoting all through the social media and um, advertising and all that. Um, who's handling that? Is that you guys or is that the Bulls or is it, have you got another one of those like internet? Yeah those one for each right, in each camp type people or it's it's a little bit of a hybrid situation we have one person dedicated to pr and 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 digital here with the windy city staff um and then she works very closely with chicago's very robust digital marketing and and digital team to you know support some of the stuff that we're doing but day to day we're doing that here on the ground um, as far as what you would see show up on our social platforms. Um, we also work with the same marketing agency to place all of our paid advertising um, that the Bulls do. And so we work very closely with them from a paid standpoint, um, what we're doing as far as marketing outreach, uh, that rolls through the same agency that Chicago does. But it's really, a, it's a hybrid situation. And it's become more and more important, um, you know, as part of having a voice and again, educating and, and spreading the brand. And so we continue to put more and more resources into it too, whether it's tools that she has to, to just make herself more efficient in terms of what we're putting out on social. Um, but it's also just leaning on the expertise of the team in Chicago and, and, you know, leaning on a franchise that has one of the biggest followings in all of sports and, you know, just very knowledgeable people there. So we're, we're fortunate to have that in our back pocket as well. How much autonomy do you get in that, or does she get in that messaging? Like you're saying it's going through the agency, but like there's got to be a differential between this is a Bulls message and this is a Windy City message. Oh, 100%. I, I mean, that is something, especially during the season, we deal with almost on a daily basis, people calling us thinking they're calling the bulls. Um, but our marketing, our paid marketing is hyper-focused on about a 10 to 15 mile radius of Hoffman Estates. So we're not advertising our team in Chicago and um, really outside. We saturate this market. At, we call it our backyard because there's, you know, one and a half million people and you know, plenty to, to choose from there. So our marketing doesn't necessarily cross over with Chicago. It's very clear if you see it, that this is a Windy City Bulls, you know, uh, creative and, and marketing piece. 
versus when I see the Bulls advertising tickets and whatnot, usually there's pictures of their star players and it's clear that that's a Bulls advertising. So, but there's still, you know, people get confused when they see Windy City Bulls and they'll call us thinking they're ordering tickets for Chicago. It happens. It does. It does. God bless them. Um, does the, obviously you inherited the franchise, so you don't get any say in it, but like, um, does the branding itself have an impact? Do you think like if you're targeting the Hoffman Estates area and you're positioning yourselves as the Windy City Bulls, like there's a, there's a conflict there in itself, right? Of like, it's not, not necessarily, it's, it, it is something, um, and I actually came in right at the tail end when they were deciding team name, team logo and everything. So I didn't have a full say in it, but um, collectively we knew that it was important to carry that Bulls brand to this versus going with a different name. Um, as I've learned, you know, in the eight years or so that I've been here, the Bulls brand is one of the most powerful in sports. And so being able to piggyback off of that um is is just makes us that much more better and or more better and and recognizable in a lot of ways and so um there was never a doubt that we weren't going to go in that direction does it create some confusion yeah maybe but you know at the end of the day people, people know the bulls basketball and if they see windy city bulls they know that there's likely an association there so it's it's helped us without a doubt good i don't want to see you fail that's all just generally interested. Um, yeah. All right, just to wrap things up then, um, through this long and gloried career of yours, um, off the top of your head, what was your biggest fuck-up? <laughs> oh, gosh. Too many to to think about. I um, don't, gosh. I can't... I need to have a canned answer because I've been asked this before. I... I mean, I, I, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of anything. Doing this podcast is probably ranking at this point. It's yeah, suddenly by by the minute. Yeah, there's there's just, I, I, yeah, um, nothing dramatic that comes to mind. I, you know, personally, my my biggest one was, you know, in baseball, you have to pull the tarp, and uh, we were pulling the tarp. Uh, 4th of July game and I, I the tarp had covered the entire field we were taking it off hit third base stamped my ankle and got buried by the tarp and had to roll out in front of a sold out stadium and basically barrel roll off to the side I mean that's that I mean, was that's, making, that's making a fun experience right that's crazy yeah, that's, yeah. still that's, people talking about that to this day that was not in the entertainment script at the time <laughs> but uh no, I, you know what, the, the thing that I'll say is I've also always taken the approach and thankfully I've worked for people who believe the same thing that we can't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, we're going to try new ideas. We're going to try new things in the, in the, in the game experience. We're going to try new giveaways and um, you, you can't be afraid to make a mistake or fail. And I just, I've always been fortunate to have people that understand that, that I work for but then it's also something that I've really preached to, to folks I work with because that's the only way that you're going to grow and evolve. Um, that's probably why I can't think of one dramatic thing because there's been so many small failures that you learn from and then you build off of them and, you know, they just make you that much better. So if you're not and, trying something new, what's the point? 
It, exactly. And that's the luxury you have working in minor league sports. Your, your exposure, if you will, is not as big. And so you have the luxury of being able to try new things all the time. Indeed. All right. Well, not end it on a negative. Um, what's the thing you're most proud of in um, twofold in your time with the Bulls, but just, but also like in the 30 odd years you've been working? I, it's, I, I've had the opportunity to turn around two franchises and that were in some pretty dire straits and make them profitable. Um, and so being able to come in, take over an operation that maybe needed a little TLC and implement some of the things that I knew and make them financially profitable in a, in a relatively short amount of time. I'm, I'm proud of something like that from a, you know, in an event thing. I've, uh, I, when I worked with the team in California, very proud of an annual aerospace night that we would do. We were in the area where space shuttle and all that was built. And so honoring astronauts and finding ways to pay tribute to what's important in the community has always been something that I take a lot of pride in. Um, you know, that's why things like bobbleheads and whatnot, a lot of the time I'll do them. They're not going to be a player. They're going to be something that is important to the community because that's what resonates. And so I've always been very proud of of things like that too. When I was in Cleveland, we had a lot of fun with uh, Cleveland sports history, which isn't the most glamorous. And so we'd have some events, you know, related to that, that again, resonate with the community, have a little fun with it. And, and it just gives you an opportunity to be creative. So those are some things that, that stand out, but I, I'm also, it's funny in the last few years, I've gotten to the point in my career too, where I take a lot of pride in seeing people that I work with develop and grow their own skill sets. I work with a lot of younger individuals and seeing individuals grow and prosper and move on in their careers has been something that I've really enjoyed. And I think as I enter kind of this next phase of my career and, you know, timeline, that's going to be something that's going to be more and more important to me is, you know, working with those around me and, and helping them get better and, and move on to bigger, better things. For sure. What I heard from all of that, and it was all laudable, was that, John, we need to invest in Cindy Crawford bobbleheads. <laughs> well, it would be really nice if Cindy would invest in the Cindy Crawford bobbleheads. Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah. Cindy Crawford like tequila as the sponsor on the on them, and then um, away we go. And maybe we can get Richard Jenkins, too, and do a whole Step Brothers thing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm all about it. I just need the connections. I need some there you go. resources is what I need. <laughs> All right, John, anything, anything to close off with? No, uh, really appreciate Brad, and I'm glad uh, the professor, as we call him, uh, connected us and uh, really excited to kind of watch you guys and uh, see how things continue to develop, and I appreciate I got a lot of good notes, which is kind of why right. we do this. I get to steal ideas from people That's and then put Nick to work. So, Stealing uh, ideas is the number one thing we do. I'll tell you yep. that. that. Well, I appreciate, well, I appreciate I the conversation and also learning about what you guys are doing, too. Lovely. Well, come out and visit us next summer. We would love to see you. And then you bring your clipboard and critique what we're doing wrong. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, Brad. Um, I'll be in contact, I'm sure, and we'll keep an eye on the Windy City Bulls. Sounds good, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Gentlemen. Thanks, Brad. Take care. Bye-bye.